and welcome everyone to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast. I am Garrett Bahanna, joined as always with Hooks Orpic himself, Jim Rexner. Jimmy, how you doing tonight? We're doing great. Thanks everybody for joining us for another episode of the podcast. And uh, Jim, now that the, the Penguin season is kicked into full gear, we do have quite a bit to talk about, so let's dive right into it. Uh, the Penguins are on a four-game winning streak heading into tonight's game against the Dallas Stars. And I think it's especially impressive to talk about this four-game win streak, racking up the points that they're earning with all of these injuries. Uh, Jim, even though it's early on in the season, uh, a four-game win streak, you know, it doesn't happen all that often throughout an NHL season. And like I said, to start, I think it's incredibly impressive that the Penguins are doing this with all of the forward injuries that they have sustained so far. It sure is. You can't help but be very impressed, especially, like you said, they just beating teams like they have been beating. Colorado was unbeaten, and it was a close overtime game, but that's been one of the best teams in the whole league so far to start the young season, and the Pens were able to get the win. So it's just you look up and down the lineup, they're getting contributions from different lines, and then their key players are coming through. So that's been impressive to see every night. You know, it feels like Jake Gensel scored a goal the last four games, so you just kind of expect that to happen. I looked at at a stat and saw the seven games so far this year. Crosby has a point in every game. In five of those games, he has multi-point performances. So, I mean, five out of seven to have two-point nights, that's that's just unreal that the level he's playing right now is very special and really helping this team go to victory. And, yeah, I completely agree with you. It's it's so fascinating. It's so mind-boggling to watch Sidney Crosby do this. I, I know a lot of people, probably myself included, do this do this a lot. You know, we put so much stock into age for an athlete, and, you know, we look at the, the, the downturn of an athlete's career you know, once they hit that 29, 30-year-old 30 uh, year old mark, you know, the play starts to decline. You know, the physical skills just start to deteriorate with age. It's just a normal a normal thing that happens with athletes. But looking at Sidney Crosby and what he's doing with Evgeny Malkin out, I, I mean, he's playing at a level that I have not seen him in quite some time. Really, you could really go back and, and say uh, the last couple of years. You know, I saw somebody on, on Twitter compare what Crosby is doing now to what Crosby was doing, um, you know, pre-concussion, you know, after he went down and missed that giant chunk of time with the concussion injuries. Uh, After putting that in reflection, I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, you just listed the the, the multi-point performances Crosby had. It is so, so great to watch. And, And I tell everybody, I think I've said this on the podcast before, you know, don't take this for granted. Please do not take watching Sidney Crosby on a nightly basis or Evgeny Malkin on a nightly basis or Chris Letang on a nightly basis. Don't take any of it for granted. I mean, the, these 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 superstars, there's only so many words you can use to describe them. What Sidney Crosby is doing right now is, quite frankly, indescribable. Putting the entire team basically on his back with without the help of, uh, of, of Guinea Malkin, it, it is really special to watch. It sure is, and it's a reminder we all need. Like, that backhand goal he scored Wednesday night against Colorado – deking out both their defensemen and just holding on the puck forever to get the goalie down and get some open space. I mean, that's so special. And it seems like that's probably not even going to be a top 10 Crosby goal because he just finds so many interesting, unique, and just special ways to score. It's, it really is incredible to watch. And it's it's awesome to see what he's doing. And to your point about his his age, yeah, he's getting older. And it is tough, I don't think, like for scoring titles at Mario 1-1, 
past age 32 where Crosby is now. But Sid also has had the longest summer that he's ever had, losing in round one this year and then having about a five-month offseason. He didn't play world championships, so he had nothing but time to rest, rehab, train, get ready, and and he has assaulted the league for sure. And um, shout out to former guest Bob Grove of our podcast who tweeted yesterday that Crosby's 12 points in the first seven games is the second most to start a season since 2013-14. He started with 14 points in seven games. So even for Sid, when he's doing getting off to one of the best starts in his career, because we know the type of seasons that he has had in the past, when he's at, you know, even for him at one of the best years he's ever had to start out, that's how you know it's really, really special. And Jim, let's let's look at the Penguins overall. And I, I think they might be in the midst of another youth movement. And, you know, we as Penguins fans who cover the team, you know, we've used that term quite a bit over the last couple of years with the emergence of guys like uh, Jake Gensel, Brian Rust, et cetera, et cetera. But the one player that comes to mind, the one player that I think is starting to turn a lot of eyes is that of Sam Lafferty. And Sam Lafferty, and rightly so, uh, I mean, he was basically pulled into emergency duty after uh, Evgeny Malkin and, and now Jared McCann going down. Uh, Nick Bukestad obviously going down as well. So, Jim, in, in five NHL games, the five NHL games that Sam Lafferty has only played in his career, he's recorded three goals and two points. He's a point. He's a point-per-game player through five games of his NHL career. Now, obviously, I don't think he will be able to sustain that. Uh, he has a 20, I believe he has a 25% shooting percentage. I don't think he'll be able to sustain that either. But, Jim, looking at the emergence of Sam Lafferty, what do you think the likelihood is that he stays around once Bukestad, McCann, Malkin, Rust, all of them, once all of them get healthy, does he stay here? Has he has he carved out a permanent spot in this Penguins lineup? Well, it's too soon to say, I think, for sure right now what could happen, and all those guys have to get back, and then we'll see who's hurt then. But to your point, I mean, he is just, Lafferty is, what he's done is nothing short of unbelievable you look at last night, he had a key role in the overtime goal that Tanev scored. Lafferty drove right to the middle of the net in the ice, and that's when the Penguins were killing a penalty. So they only had three players out there, and Mike Sullivan trusted Sam Lafferty to be out there on the ice in a three-on-four situation in overtime against the Colorado Avalanche with all the skill that they have on the ice. So that just tells you right there what the Penguins think of Lafferty and how much they trust him and how much they want him out there and really how how great he's done. And as we're about to hear in our interview with Phil Bork, not to bury the lead on that, Phil gives us a great interview, and Phil just gushes over Sam Lafferty a couple times, too. You can tell everyone around the Penguins organization from near, from afar, is just super high on what this kid can could do, and so why not? I mean, Dominic Cahoon, he's not doing much now. When everybody gets healthy, or if you got the chance to play Lafferty or Cahoon, I would think right now you're going to play Lafferty for sure, but you know, it's only been a couple of games. We've seen guys come up like a house of fire and maybe fade out a little bit. So Lafferty's going to have to prove himself more and more and keep on working on it and keep on earning it. But, I mean, what he's done so far, they're definitely going to give him a chance to see what he can do. And it's really up to him how far he can go with the opportunity. Does he become like a Brian Russ type who establishes himself firmly as an NHL player? Or is he more like a Scott Wilson type who kind of, you know, is there and is around, but isn't really that key of a, of a player for the NHL lineup. 
So, Jim, let's look ahead. Let's look ahead at the Penguins' schedule uh, over the next couple of games. Starting tonight, they have the Dallas Stars. And uh, the, the Dallas Stars really haven't been that impressive to start the season going 1-6-1 and one through their games played. And a lot of the key free agents that they brought in over the offseason, Joe Pavelski and uh, Corey Perry, I believe, were the two big names. It, it, it really seems like they haven't meshed all, all together, nothing really has clicked the first couple of games. I know Corey Perry had just returned from what I believe was a broken foot during the uh, preseason and training camp period. So I'll give him a couple of more games to adjust. But but Jim, looking at the Dallas Stars tonight, and we'll go into the Vegas Golden Knights on the second end of this back-to-back in just a moment. Jim, I don't know if I should be concerned with the Dallas Stars because on paper their record is obviously quite bad early on. But could this be a trap game for the Penguins? Uh you know, could they look past the Dallas Stars to get to Marc-Andre Fleury and the Golden Knights? Or do you foresee them, even with the, the ragtag group of Penguins that we have right now, do they steamroll the Dallas Stars with how bad they've been? It'll be interesting to see because I know, I think I saw a quote earlier from the week that the Stars are, are getting desperate and they know their season, you know, it's still very early in the year, but you can blow a playoff chance by... Thanksgiving or so if you're really down and out and they don't want to get that down and out and like you mentioned Corey Perry just made his season debut I don't know what he really has in the tank but you know they could be getting better if they're getting healthier and and trying to establish themselves and the Stars only victory this year came last week against the Washington Capitals and we all know the Caps are a good team so you know if if they can beat the Caps they could beat the Pens in this league you got to show up any team could beat any team on a given night so hopefully the Penguins aren't getting a little too full of themselves riding high on this four-game winning streak they're definitely gonna have to stick with what's got them there as far as playing their their game getting back on defense you know exploiting offensive opportunities when they can get them because if they let their guard down I mean Dallas I think quite easily could win this game tonight that's a perfect way to describe it letting their guard down and we've seen that a couple of times over the past couple of seasons, especially coming off the Stanley Cup victories where the Penguins were quite slow to get out of the gate. And let's be let's be frank. If you're coming off a Stanley Cup victory like the Penguins were uh, back-to-back, you know, getting up for a game in October, in, in, in this example against the uh, the lowly Dallas Stars, could have been, you know, tough to do to get into that, that game that game mode mindset, you know, really putting all of your chips on the table. It could be hard physically and mentally to do that against a team. And a, a team like the Dallas Stars, like you mentioned, uh, are getting quite desperate. And desperation could, in theory, create a, a different team, a different outlook, a different mentality for the Dallas Stars. So it will be interesting to watch and see if the Penguins continue to ride high and if they dispose of the Dallas Stars quite easily based on what the Dallas Stars have done this season. It'll be very interesting to watch. And let's let's just flip really quickly and end this back-to-back against the Golden Knights, who are currently 4-3, and 4-3-0, who are, is third for, good for third on the Pacific Division. Uh, Jim, I, I guess they're getting their first meeting with the Golden Knights and Marc-Andre Fleury out of the way rather quickly this season. Uh, but I don't recall over the last couple of seasons now that the Golden Knights have been in the league. I don't know if the Penguins – the Penguins really haven't had massive success against the Golden Knights – so off the second game of a back-to-back, this could also be a very interesting scenario. Presumably, Tristan Jari will get this start against Marc-Andre Fleury. But Jim, looking ahead to the Golden Knights, do you, do you have anything to add on what could be another fun matchup uh, for Marc-Andre Fleury against his former team? 
It should be fun for sure. I mean, what always stands out to me is the depth of the Vegas forwards. Like their first three lines or so are just really, really skilled and really fast. And they're always fun to watch. And that'll be a challenge for sure for the Pens who will be finishing up back to back, like you mentioned, and also three games in four days, which is always a challenge physically for teams. Um, if I remember correctly, I don't think Flurry played last year in Pittsburgh because I think their schedule, they had a game the night before. So this will only be the second time he's played back at PPG Paints Arena as a visitor, which, you know, it won't be as special as the first time, but I have to imagine that the reaction for him is going to be pretty good, don't you think? I would have to agree. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, obviously, for those who are listening and for those you know, who have followed the Penguins for quite some time, there are some, especially online, that have firmly entrenched themselves into the Matt Murray, Marc-Andre Fleury debate that has unfortunately not subsided multiple years after Marc-Andre Fleury has left the team. Uh, many people still clamoring for Jim Rutherford to go back and reverse what he did in the expansion draft for the Golden Knights to bring Marc-Andre Fleury back. But uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think Fleury... Fleury, Fleury will probably retire as a Penguin. That's not to say he will get traded when he's like 37, 38. I firmly believe he will retire as a Penguin. But um, yeah, Jim, just to get back to your point, uh, yes, it's always going to be a warm welcome. Everybody loves Marc-Andre Fleury. How can you not? I mean, the guy is just so fun to be around. And you can visibly tell that his teammates love going to him and joking with him on the ice. It will certainly be uh, quite the reunion should he be able to start that game in that second half of the back-to-back. But moving gears now, we're going to do our mailbag segment before our great interview with Phil Bork. So we save the meat and potatoes of the podcast for last. We're going to save this fantastic interview with Borky. You do not want to miss it. So, Jim, we're going to go into the mailbag segment. And again, if you're a first-time listener interested in this mailbag segment, you can do so uh, by asking us questions on Twitter through our Pensburg podcast account uh, every week before we record a podcast we will typically send out a tweet through our Pensburg podcast Twitter account at Pensburg Pod, where we'll ask for listener questions, anything that might be on your mind. Uh, uh, I remember a few weeks ago, Jim, we had a question regarding uh, predator warfare between who would win in a fight between a silverback gorilla and a grizzly bear. We need bear. more of those. Yeah, we, uh, we need more of those. <laughs> n- nothing is off the table. This is not strictly hockey talk here for the mailbag segment. Uh, but Jim, you get the first question. I will ask it to you. Uh, I am totally sorry if I butcher your name in any way, shape, or form. Uh, Cole Del Vecchio, I believe that's how you say it, asks, if the call-ups continue to play well, who goes back down to Wilkes-Barre Scranton when the team is fully healthy? Great question. Yeah, I think you pronounced it right. Um, I think it's easy right now to say Blandizi and Adam Johnson are going to go back without much second thought. Uh I actually said I didn't really want to talk about the which defenseman will they trade for like the fifth podcast in a row today, <laughs> but I still like to think that somehow, sometime, they're going to trade a defenseman, which might let them keep an extra forward, and then at that point, I guess maybe Lafferty, depending on, you know, if he's still playing great, he's obviously going to stay. If he's not doing great, maybe send him back to the minors for a little more time, but then I think you get the more interesting question really is who's going to play on that fourth line. Are you going to maybe healthy scratch Cahoon to play a Lafferty? Zach Aston Reese has been better this week, but he started off kind of slow and he's a guy who kind of seems like he's in the coach's 
doghouse every once in a while. So I, I don't think his spot in the lineup is, is assured, but I mean, they're not going to cut him or anything, but is he going to play every game if he's not playing well? Probably not. And that's where Lafferty bouncing on the scene is so great because he just gives more options where, you know, towards the bottom of that lineup, if a forward isn't playing so good, then you can put Lafferty in instead. All right. Um, our next question from Latangier, Latangier, I don't know how you say that, says, why do people try to draw conclusions about teams in October? Calling for tanking or declaring teams bad because they are below 500 just seems like a great way for every take you have to age like milk. Yeah, it's it's really fun. You can you can tell the the kind of lives those people live who who get so frustrated and and think that the season is ending. As a matter of fact, I remember people saying that the Penguin season was over uh, against that first loss against the Buffalo Sabers uh, a couple of games ago. So. According to my knowledge and according to everyone on Twitter, uh, the, the Penguin season is over, uh, Jim. So I think we could just stop recording the podcast now. You know, yeah. I think you could. I think you can stop writing for Pennsburg. I, th- I think I'll stop writing for Pennsburg too if the season's over. And you know, we'll just get back to this. You know, a year from now when the new season starts up. No, Maybe but, we'll get fired and we're traded to a different blog then. Yeah. Would you like to go to Broad Street Hockey? I would I would decline that trade. I would block that in my contract. Oh, you have a no movement clause. Okay. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I can assure you, I will not be doing that. But who knows? Maybe maybe you or old Darnay might find yourself over there. Could you imagine me in the? Or, <laughs> can, can you imagine me in the orange and black? I, it would just. Well, uh, then again, our our boss works for them, so we shouldn't we should not bury them too much. Broad Street <laughs> Hockey is a great blog. Yes, the yes. They're not a great team, but. We certainly do like like a lot of the writers there, so <laughs> that but, probably wouldn't be the worst fate. No, no, but yeah, it's ridiculous to to draw conclusions from what eight to twelve games that are played in October. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It, it, it's just, I mean, those kinds of people are just looking for a reaction at that point. Either that, or they're not that knowledgeable about the game because drawing conclusions after the first five to whatever, how many, five to 12 games, however many are played in the month of October, it's just a waste of time. You can't figure anything out about a team in one month's time, especially when you look at the Penguins and they're down like a bazillion of forwards. So you can't declare anything over and dead really before it's even started. Our next question, Jim, is for you, comes from Tyler Hart. And he, he says, can we finally relax with the why did they offer Tanev a multi-year deal conversations? He has been nothing but a heart and soul player from day one with the organization. That is true that, you know, he's he's done great and he's been as advertised. I mean, I think the scouting report on him was right on that he's going to empty the tank every shift, every game. He's going to block shots. He's going to hit. He's a fast skater. I mean, all that's true and he's great and it looks good now when he's 27 years old. I, I do worry about was it necessary to sign him for five, six years. That's that's a problem for people who like to track the contracts and stuff, which some fans do, some fans don't. There's no wrong or right. But just from my perspective, I mean, if you look this, this year at the free agent market, only Artemi Panarin signed a longer deal as a winger than Brandon Tanov. So I do think that it... it it doesn't make sense really from a financial perspective of what the Penguins did. And even Jim Rutherford admitted they probably overpaid and they probably gave him too much years. But then he also says, well, you got to do that on July one, or you might not get the player. 
And sometimes when you do that, you end up with Jack Johnson too for too many years. And now when you want to trade him, nobody wants him. So that's always a risk to me to pay like those bottom of the lineup guys for a long time and a lot of money. But I mean, Tanov, Tanov is solid and he's going to help the team this year and probably next year. So that is a good thing and, and good for him. That helps make the pens better. So I don't see how you can be mad about that. Our buddy McNulty is back with multiple questions. I, I don't even know why you allowed this, Garrett, when you screened him. You got to screen him better. <laughs> so here we go. He says, Stan Guy, love the show. Thanks, McNulty. That's not us, but that's okay, too. He goes on to say, fourth line play sustainable, or is there success luck-driven? Will Gino come back 100%? Will Jim Rutherford retire this year if the team flames out in round one? Where do babies come from? I'll hang up and listen, and he isn't even on the phone, but okay. All right, Garrett, do what you can with that one. Yep. Uh, we, we could take this question or multiple questions from McNulty for Prez or Marty. Uh, we could take this uh, multiple ways. Uh, okay, I'll start with the fourth line play. And Is it sustainable? Uh, well, let's look at the fourth line right now, probably currently constructed of Adam Johnson, Joseph Landisi, and Sam Lafferty. Um, all of those guys at least to this point, have maybe with, with the exception of Lafferty, Johnson and Blendizi are probably fringe NHLers. Uh, I don't really foresee them carving out a long career or, or, or um, you know, a, a long career in the NHL. You know, they not, nothing has told me that, you know, these guys are like can't miss prospects. Um, Sam Lafferty, and like we discussed that at the beginning of the show, um, really looks, he has exploded onto the scene and I certainly wasn't expecting it. I don't think, Jim, you were expecting Sam Lafferty's emergence either. Uh, I guess early on, Sam Lafferty looks like the only one out of the fourth line that could sustain that kind of play. But to answer the first question, I think it's more luck-driven at this point. I, I don't have all of their advanced metrics in front of me, but I, I mean, just based on the fact that, you know, they've been up and down from the minors and the, the NHL quite frequently over the last couple of years, so... To Jim's earlier point, I see Johnson and Blantisi going back down to the AHL when all is said and done. Uh, will Gino come back 100%? Uh, I would hope so. Um, you know, you don't <laughs> you don't want to <laughs> you don't want your 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 franchise second line center to come back not 100% healed. I think that would be a detriment to the team moving forward, especially you know if he does anything else to his lower body, to his knee, or whatever was injured. His uh, whether it was a soft tissue injury, whatever it was, I mean, you don't really want that to linger. So I hope he comes back 100%. Uh, I don't know if this play is sustainable without Gino. So yes, I, I hope he comes back 100%. Will GMJR retire this year if the team flames out in round one? Well, there are certainly more and more mixed feelings on Jim Rutherford's tenure, uh, especially given the contracts he's given out and taken away, tried to trade away over the last couple of years. Uh, Jim, I believe he signed an extension recently, as, as recently as this offseason. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but I, I do know an extension was recently signed. I believe it was a three-year extension. Uh, if they flame out in round one, it's it's possibility. I mean, I know he, he has to be one of the older general managers in the league. Uh, you know, maybe it would be time if they do flame out for the second year in a row in round one that it would be time for some new direction and new leadership from the top. That is a possibility, but... As of right now, I know I don't see him retiring really under any any scenario. I think he stays out. I think I think Mario and company will let him fulfill the remainder of his contract. And uh, finally, where do babies come from? 
Um, well, Jim, let's see where we can take this one. When, 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 when a mommy and, and a daddy love oh, each no. other. This is how to go ask his parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll save it. Yeah, I agree You're with not you, Jim. Ready for that yet, McNulty, so don't worry about it, bud. <laughs> yeah, well, Jim, we will conclude with the last question here from Sammy Bagel Jr. He is back. I saved, I saved oh, Sammy God. Bagel. I saved him for the last question. The team seems to have more of a want to win than in previous games. Do you think the drive to be successful is more important than the talent on the team? It's an interesting debate. I mean, there's that old saying, like, what will beat skill when skill doesn't show up. But, I mean, for me, you take Sidney Crosby or Jake Gensel off this team and, and put in another hardworking player, and I don't think they're winning very much. So, I mean, you have to have talent on, on a team, especially at the NHL level where – there's just so many skilled guys all over the place. But, I mean, there is something to be said for sure about a team that battles very hard and does the little things right all over the place. And, I mean, obviously it's, it's adding up to a winning mix right now. They're getting great goaltending. They're playing well. They're playing as a team. So, yeah, that's important. You need all, all of that. But I'm not so sure I would say it's more important than talent because, I mean, I guess you would want talent playing hard and, and having that will to win, and then you get the best of all worlds. So that's what I think the Penguins could potentially have. And certainly when they win Stanley cups, it seems like everybody's doing that. So maybe they're getting back or showing flashes that they are still capable of that with this group they have here. All right. That will wrap up our mailbag segment for this edition of the Pennsburg podcast. I'd like to send a heartfelt thank you to everyone who replied to our tweet uh, from uh, the questions or yes, the, the tweet that we asked for questions on the Pennsburg Podcast Twitter account. We really appreciate all of your support for this mailbag segment. I've really liked watching it grow over the last couple of weeks. Uh, but, Jim, we're going to take a quick break on here on the Pennsburg Podcast. When we get out of that break, we will dive straight into the interview with the old 2-9er himself, Phil Bork. You do not want to miss this right here on the Pennsburg Podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Our guest today is a veteran of 477 NHL games, 344 coming with the Pittsburgh Penguins from 1983 to 1992, where he scored 75 goals and tallied 164 points as a member of the Penguins. He's also a two-time Stanley Cup champion with the Pens and is now part of the Penguins radio network. He's also the author of a brand new book titled If These Walls Could Talk, Stories from the Pittsburgh Penguins. Joining us now on the Pensburg podcast is the old 2-9er himself, Phil Bork. Phil, thanks for joining us. Hey, Garrett. Hey, Jim. A pleasure to be a part of your podcast. Yeah, definitely. We're glad you joined us. And um, I really enjoyed your book. Uh, congrats on getting it published. Oh, well, thank you. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a long process. It was the first uh, book I was ever a part of, um, and it's a bit of a labor of love. Uh, it started about three years ago, actually, with uh, Rob Rossi writing uh, or, or starting to write the book, and uh, 
uh, one thing kind of led to another and uh, things just weren't progressing the way they, uh, we hoped. And uh, we kind of, we took a pause from that. Rob and I decided uh, to go in a different direction and go with Joey. So that's probably the reason it took three years and not, uh, most books take probably a year or, you know, 14, 15 months. But uh, it was uh, not only great to tell a lot of behind the scenes stories of my great times as a Pittsburgh Penguin, but uh, we widened the lens quite a bit and they allowed me to go uh, back and talk about my childhood and my relationship with my dad and uh, my uh, my segueing into uh, kind of a awkward segue uh, into a second career about my my struggles of of not working for a while and then finally catching a big time break and and getting into a second career of broadcasting and uh, and that's where I am now so it was a it was definitely a, a long process but now that it's done and it's the books on the shelves or you can get them online uh, I'm really proud of it. Yeah, the thing I liked the most about it, it was very conversational. Like, it, it kind of felt like we were at a bar just having a few beers and you were telling some stories. So I sat down with it one night and I was I was like, oh, it's right before bed. I'll just read a few pages. And the next thing I know, I look up, I'm almost halfway through it because it's a, it's a real page turner. So I, I really enjoyed it. I think you and Josh, I didn't notice any spelling errors. So I guess he earned his money. But there's all kinds of, like, really great stories in there. So um, I'm glad you were able to share them. Wow, that's a great compliment. That's what I was hoping for. That uh, uh, they allowed me to use probably more language than uh, because it is part of a series. I mean, uh, there's guys in Detroit and Chicago and um, Philadelphia, uh, not former players, but more historians have written books and with the same title if these walls could talk. And they allowed me to talk uh, to the uh, whoever was reading the book. Like you, exactly like that. Like we're sitting in a bar and, you know, you might want to call it locker room talk or whatever, the way hockey players talk to other hockey players. So, like I said, there's some language in there. It's a little bit PG-13, but I'm I'm glad that you enjoyed uh, the stories and I'm glad that you said it was a page turner. That's what I was hoping for. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because... You there was only a few players like yourself that were there before Mario got there and then saw the build and stayed around to get to the cup years. So, I mean, that was really, you know, your timing, I guess, was really good. And like you said, um, I really felt you could feel your honesty talking about your childhood and the difficulties you had with your relationship with your father and all that. That was, I mean, that was some stuff, you know, I've been a Penguins fan my whole life and I was seven years old in 91 when you guys won that first cup. So I was just on like the edge of, of catching up and I learned a lot of new stuff about it. So I, I was pretty, pretty entertained. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I guess you could say my timing was good, uh, but my timing didn't seem good when I came to the Penguins in 1982 before Mario arrived, because it was some, it was some bleak times. There was not a lot of hope. Um, I mean, there was hope for me uh, as an undrafted player, to play in the NHL because the Penguins were not good. And I'm thinking, okay, I might be better than this guy and I might be better than that guy. uh, And I might be able to crack this lineup. Uh, But when Mario showed up, all of a sudden hope showed up and and the team got better quicker. And uh, one thing led to another. And to be a part of those two Stanley Cups in 91 and 92, uh, I'm very frank about that in the book, the happiest times of my life. Uh, You know, it's all I wanted to do was play hockey as a kid. All I ever wanted to do was step on the, uh, NHL sheet of ice just one time and to do it uh, as long as I did and have an 18-year pro career 
and to win the two Stanley Cups as a player was the pinnacle of my career. Definitely. And um, from reading your book, one of, you know, it made me laugh throughout it, but at one part you were talking about the 1991 playoffs. You say, here I am, I'm on a line with Brian Trottier, Yarmir Yager, two Hall of Famers. And then a few pages later, you mentioned, oh, I'm out on the ice and I happen to be on the ice at the same time as Mario Lemieux and Mark Recchi, two more Hall of Famers. And those teams were so stacked with, with just so much skill and talent, but it also had kind of glue guys like yourself. And you finished seventh on the team and scoring that playoff year in 91. Um, and every year the Penguins win the cup, they have those kind of glue guys that kick in a lot. And now these days, we just saw last night, Brandon Tanov scored an overtime game-winning goal or yeah overtime game-winning goal shorthanded for the pens do you think he could be that next generation type of glue guy core guy to to kind of help the more skilled guys along this year i do you're right on the money it's a pretty simple equation you look at st louis last year you look at washington the year before you look at the chicago blackhawks the la kings i mean the list goes on the penguins in 09 with max talbot 16 and 17 with connor sherry and brian russ the list goes on right guys Every team you can look at, it's a simple equation. Star players, great goaltending, and third and fourth line muckers and grinders. I don't mind that, that label at all. I'm Actually, I'm very proud of it. Uh, guys like that, that if they score three goals in the playoffs, they're big goals. They're, and I'm not necessarily saying overtime winners, uh, but they're big goals to uh, maybe help you on a comeback or, or make a one-goal lead, a two-goal lead late in the third period. And that's the equation. And, yeah, to answer your question, Brandon Tanev absolutely is one of those guys. He's kind of a Max Talbot. He's kind of a, uh, a Nick Benino. And those are the guys that you win Stanley Cups with. And, but you need more than just a, a Brandon Tanev. You need, you know, maybe it's a Sam Lafferty. Maybe it's a couple other guys. Maybe it's a Teddy Bluger. But I think the Penguins uh, have done a really good job of finding, whether it's later round picks like Lafferty, a fourth rounder, or a player like Tanev, an unrestricted free agent, or undrafted players, that's what you need. When you have, you know, high salary players like Dave and Gino and Latang and, and, and like those guys, you've got to have guys that can fill in in the bottom six and, and make big plays and score big goals without commanding big dollars. Once again, here we have Phil Bork on the Pensburg podcast. For those interested, Phil will be signing his book, If These Walls Could Talk, stories from the Pittsburgh Penguins at the Barnes & Noble in South Hills Village, on Friday, November 1st at 7 p.m. So head out there and meet Phil in just a couple of weeks' time to chat about the Pittsburgh Penguins. Phil, switching gears a little bit, uh, I know working with the Hall of Famer Mike Lang has been a huge thrill for you in the second part of your career. Now you're, uh, now you're a long-tenured broadcaster on the Penguins Radio Network, and you two obviously have a special bond with each other. Uh, is there one story or, or one memory that sticks out working with uh, working with the Hall of Famer Mike Lang that that you're gonna remember forever, long after you put the headset away? Well, there's just so many. Many. I don't. Yeah, this is gonna sound sound kind of funny, but in uh, 2016 when we won the cup and we beat uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning to go to the Stanley Cup final, um, Mike and I went to the Hard Rock Casino afterwards. And it wasn't a big gambling trip or anything like that. We sat at the bar, we ordered a beer, and we just looked at each other and just started giggling. We just were just in disbelief that here we go again. We're, we're, go, we're going we're gonna to make another run. And, you know, Mikey had been through so much, you know, in his 45 years broadcasting now, uh, his 
thought, you know, when he thinks he's seen it all, you know, he gets pleasantly surprised like that. And he was, he was giddy. I could just, you know, see the excitement in his face. And I'll, I'll, that's what I'll remember. All the goal calls, I cherish them every single time. You know, a few years back, I, I would tell Mikey, I need five more years. Mikey, I need five more years. And now it's kind of like, I, I need one more year, Mikey. So we don't know how much longer he's going to call games. I know that it's still his love. It's still his passion. And he still calls a great game, even though his health isn't the best. Uh, he really pours all of his his uh, energy into just calling a game. But really, just I always sit on his right. That's just the way he likes it and the way he calls the game. Uh, and every time I can sit on his right, I just when, – when I know I'm going to get the extra long he shoots and scores, uh, I just kind of soak it all in because we don't know how many more we're going to have with the great Mike Lang. And it's, it's really – it's my honor, my privilege to work with him. Uh, and he's a dear, dear friend. He's, he's like family to me. And I say this with such an open heart that I love the man. I absolutely love him to death. And I cherish every single day I get with him. Yeah, we do too, listening to it. I mean, because he's been around for the whole the whole time pretty much of the Penguins, just about. And certainly everyone's memories are of him. And you and him do such a great job. I know it's one of the rare occasions where people will sync up the radio and the TV feed to hear Mike Lang and Phil Bork and, and watch it as well. And, and that's pretty unique to Pittsburgh, I have to feel like. Oh, that's, I, I tell you, that makes me smile every time. In fact, I was just uh, talking to the receptionist. Uh, I was setting up just a, a doctor's appointment. And um, she said, do you remember me? I met you at this golf outing, blah, blah, blah. And she was telling me, she goes, I still sync up the radio uh, to the TV. And, you know, some people are a little more, uh, you know, savvy when it comes to that. And they're able to, you know, get the delay a little bit closer to what it should be. But, yeah, that's. That makes me pride. It's a, it's a part of why we are uh, have the number one ratings in the NHL when it comes to radio broadcast. Uh, not only is it because of Mike Lang, uh, but people just – that's what people want. They want to hear the game that way. There's nothing against Steve Mears and Bob Erie at all. It's not a slight at all. It's just that, uh, you know, Mike Lang is the voice of the Penguins, and people will do anything when they watch the Penguin games to listen to Mike. It's just the way it is. No doubt about it. And the Penguins now, they're on a four-game winning streak despite a ton of injuries up front. And um, really what's standing out to me, Sidney Crosby points in every game. Chris Letang had a six-game point streak to start the year. Jake Gensel's on a six-game point streak now. What do you see from those three big guys that are really, I mean, to me it looks like they're pushing the whole bus right now because they pretty much have to. But what's standing out to you about them, and how long do you think they can keep it up? Well, I concur with everything that you said. I mean, that's pretty obvious. But uh, I'll tell you, if Sid is driving the bus, then Sam Lafferty is sitting in, right in that front row right behind him uh, and helping him navigate. I mean, Sam Lafferty has energized his club, uh, as well as John Marino, as well as Adam Johnson, as well as Joe Blandese. I think the young players, um, and I think you add that and what these young players have added, not only, not only the speed, the tenacity, the grit, the ability to chip in offensively and just kind of sprinkle that in on top of uh, all the players that you mentioned, the star players that are, are come out of the gate on fire. But I, I think with Geno out, with Bukestad out, with Rust out, I think it's forced the Penguins to simplify their game. And the Penguins, when they have struggled over the last couple of years, I think they're their own worst enemy. I think it's self-inflicted pain. I think that they, they try 
to play too much east-west, too much high-risk hockey. Is that a byproduct of the way that Evgeny Malkin plays sometimes? Yeah, I think it is. I think he's guilty of that. And I think that maybe Gino maybe needs to take a little look at the way the Penguins are playing now, the way that he likes to play, and he's got to make an adjustment. I think that's fair to say. That's, that's not a knock on Gino. That's, I'm not trying to give him a backhand uh, at all. But I feel that you know sometimes Gino plays a style, and this is a future Hall of Famer I'm talking about, plays a style that is a, just a little bit too high risk. Uh, and it's it's not what works in the NHL in 2019. So I think it's it's a really long-winded answer. I know for your short question, but I think a combination of the star players playing the way they're playing, but really, really feeding off of the youth, the new guys that we have here, the excitement, energy, and speed that they brought. Phil, uh, I, sp- I think I speak for Jim. I-, I want to thank you so much for-, for taking the time out of your day to come join us and, and chat a little bit about some really fun times in Pittsburgh Penguins hockey right now. Uh, once again, for everyone listening, uh, Phil is a newly published author. Once again, his book is titled, If These Walls Could Talk, Stories from the Pittsburgh Penguins. Phil, like I said, thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to come chat with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate you uh, not only uh, acknowledging the book, uh, but uh, yeah, I know you guys are true, true Penguin fans. I can hear it in your voice and I enjoyed our time together. This was good hockey talk. That was the old two-niner himself, Phil Bork, uh, joining the Pennsburg podcast. And and Jim, I always love listening to Phil Bork on the Penguins Radio Network. He is always such an eccentric and fun, very knowledgeable personality and his book is just another way for for the Penguins fans, longtime Penguins fans like yourself, to just get up close and personal with some of the experiences that he is willing to share from his time as a Penguin. No doubt. And young whippersnappers like you can, can learn a thing or two, too, about the glory days. And like I said, uh, that book is, is written in his voice, the way he talks. You can tell he has a lot of enthusiasm and passion for the sport of hockey and really specifically the – Pittsburgh Penguins he loves the team he's loved being a part of it for so long and that absolutely comes through in the book he he gives all these stories and some of them you you'd never believe like I remember once he was talking about Yager in his rookie year crying absolutely crying because he got yelled at on the bench and then Kevin Stevens who's like the biggest alpha male on the planet noticed that Yager was just crying tears on his face and then Kevin Stevens kind of went off about that because why is a guy crying in the middle of the game and there's I mean there's just so many crazy stories like that that Phil has and shares and it's awesome uh every Penguins fan I think would really enjoy it because it's it's a look behind the scenes kind of at, at the team that we've liked for so long and that's been good for so long and has had so many really just crazy characters involved so I can't recommend it highly enough I'm not just blowing smoke because he came on our podcast that's how I feel and it's awesome. I mean, you get it. Tell me I'm wrong. I don't think you will. Our appreciation and our thanks goes out to Phil once again for joining us on the Pensburg podcast. We really do appreciate it. Uh, but Jim, I think that wraps up this episode of the Pensburg podcast, unless you have anything else you want to add in before we get out of here. No, that's it. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. I think this is really one of our better shows, and we're finding our stride here this season on the pod. And We're hoping to get some more great guests for you to come on and share some insight. And we enjoy answering the questions and just talking about what's happening. So thanks for helping us grow and and being a part of it with us. 
Absolutely. I echo everything that Jim has said. Well, for Jim Rixner, Hooks Orpik himself, I have been Garrett Bahanna. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Pensburg Podcast, and we will see you next week.